Hello, mamas, and welcome to episode one in our Aware Parenting podcast series. Today, I'm talking with Lael Stone, all about raising resilient and compassionate children. Enjoy. Hey, mama, I'm sending you wonderful pregnancy vibes. It's time for you to guide you through. Let's take some time for you. It's pregnancy with physio. Hello, mamas, and welcome back to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast. We are kicking off a new series today. I recorded this one at the end of last year, and it was the perfect end to my year. I interviewed the incredible Lael Stone. You can find her on Instagram at Lael Stone. She is an amazing woman. I've got a bit of a girl crush on her at the moment, and I've got her on for a three-part podcast series, talking in general about her work in aware parenting, but just holding space for mothers and children all over. She has a wealth of knowledge. She has been a doula in a past life. She co-founded a school. She runs a lot of workshops and courses on aware parenting, and she's just a really beautiful soul. So today we're going to be chatting about raising resilient and compassionate children. And in episode two, we will be talking about self-care and looking after the mother so that we can look after our babies how we like to. And so we have space and, you know, compassion for them because we're holding that for ourselves. And then in episode three, we talk about holding boundaries, which is something I've just come to recently and I've come to realize is really, really important. So make sure that you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so that you don't miss any of these episodes being released in this series. They are going to be amazing. Now, In this episode today with Lael, we cover so many things, but specifically we talk about Lael's personal journey into aware parenting after her own traumatic birth experience. We talk about the importance of crying and expressing emotions, the power of listening to feelings. While we don't always have to keep our kids happy, we talk about seeing beneath the behavior of our children, practicing empathy and compassion with our kids, and then indirectly, obviously with ourselves what a regulated versus dysregulated child looks like and how we can be a safe space for our children's feelings. Now, I did a workshop with Lael and another lady, B recently, and being in the same room and space as Lael just felt so good. And so I'm so excited and privileged that she agreed to join us on the podcast. And I just really know that you're going to love hearing from her. She's just one big, massive, warm hug. And I think she gives gives you that feeling that everything is okay. She truly does embody what she preaches when it comes to holding space for people, you know, non-judgmental, safe spaces. And that's what I endeavor to be for my children. I'm a work in progress, as I'm sure everyone is, but I've really enjoyed delving into aware parenting. It's not something that was on my radar for my first two children. And it's something that I've enjoyed learning about for my third baby and understanding the importance of expressing emotions and you know, again, I'm not perfect. Uh, We're all a work in progress. I am not the perfect mother by any stretch of the imagination, but I've really found a lot of the aware parenting tools to be really helpful. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you want to connect with Lael, she is at Lael Stone and she has wonderful offerings. And if you want to connect with me further, look after yourself better, hold space for yourself better. You know, you can find me inside the Pregnancy Posse membership where we look after your physical and mental well-being during pregnancy. It is a wonderful membership. I've poured my heart and soul into that. 
you can trial that program for seven days if you like. It is thepregnancyposse.com if you'd like to find out more information. But without further ado, let's jump into episode one of our Aware Parenting podcast series with Lael Stone. Enjoy! Hey Lael, welcome to the podcast. I am so excited. You're my final guest I'm interviewing until I have a little break and I couldn't think of going out on a bang with anyone other than yourself. I feel like it's the, the perfect roundup to my year. I'm so excited for you to share your wisdom with all of the women listening. I know you've deeply impacted my life through listening to all your amazing resources and being in the same room with you at this workshop. And I just know that women need to hear the message that you are sending out so thank oh, you so much for joining words. us thank you such a pleasure to be here <laughs> um i know we could we could talk about so many different topics but i've had to kind of break um they're probably pregnant for the first time or they maybe just had a baby and it's probably gone down the ones that i want to talk about today and i wanted to start with the aware parenting scope and Many women listening to this podcast may never have heard of aware parenting, honestly, not even on their radar. Um, mm. And I wanted to get you to speak to how you maybe got into working with aware parenting and all of the amazing work you're doing with children. And I wanted to speak about your passion about raising compassionate and resilient children and how that maybe looks very different to how we think we should be raising resilient mm. children. I know I've had to do like a 360 on a lot of what I thought resilience was. Mm. So I want to start there and then we can branch off into whole little tangent and yeah, okay. what your thoughts on is where we need to. But could you start mm. with how you got into this work raising resilient children? Mm. Okay. I'll try and do the like quick version of <laughs> these two topics. So, um, so I'm a, I'm a mum to three beautiful children. So they're two of them are adults now. They're 22, 19, and my youngest is 14. And um, before I kind of worked in parenting, I worked in birth for a long time. So I was a childbirth educator and I was a doula, and I did a lot of postnatal trauma kind of counselling. And I came across where parenting with my third baby. So I had a really challenging birth experience with her. I'd had a home birth with my second. I'd had a hospital induction birth with my first. And so by the time I had my third, I was like, right, I'm going to have another home birth. And, you know, I was teaching calm birth and I was all over birth. I was, you know, I know everything kind of vibe. And my beautiful third child had a completely different agenda. Um, so I ended up in hospital because we had a bit of a suspected breach baby going on. Just things weren't looking as straightforward as what they should be. Anyway, ended up in hospital. Um, I labored for a really, really long time. She was a foot in breach. So we kind of did everything to try and get her to come out. And and her beautiful birth story ended up in an emergency cesarean where I had a pretty bad reaction to the drugs and so did she. And so she kind of spent the first, you know, 10 minutes of her life really fighting for life and then spent the next week in a coma. And, you know, we were told that she probably wouldn't, you know, maybe she wouldn't make it. You know, there's a whole lot of touch and go. It was a big, big experience, big journey. And um, one that I, you know, never, you never foresee something like that happening. But I think the thing is that when I came out the other side of that experience, I knew enough and I'd worked enough in long enough in birth and also worked enough with mothers and babies to know that trauma is a real thing that we carry in our bodies and babies carry it as well. And I remember just thinking, how am I going to help my baby move the trauma from that experience that we had? Because, you know, she had lots of drugs. She was in the NICU. I didn't get to hold her till she was like six days old. All those things that we know are so vital and important around connection and attachment and all that beautiful stuff we didn't have 
And so there was lots of big feelings for me around that. I could presume there was big feelings for her. So when I finally did get her home and, you know, she, you know, it was all looking like, okay, well, we'll just get on with life. I remember thinking I could see it in her little body. She was really tense. She would make these jerky movements with her hands and her fingers. And I'd had two other babies before and I kind of knew what that newborn was like. And she, she just looked like she was so stressed in her body. And I was like, what am I going to do to help this baby? So I was doing a the things that I know, like, you know, skin on skin and breastfeeding and co-sleeping and all the beautiful stuff. I remember thinking, I need to get to know you. You need to get to know me. So we just, we just kind of, you know, absorbed each other, but still I could see so much of this stress and tension in her. And I remember talking to my midwife going, I just, I don't know how to help her, what to do. And she said to me, why don't you have a look at this book called The Aware Baby, which was by Dr. Aletha Salter. And uh, as soon as I read that book, it was like, oh my God, everything made sense to me from a parenting lens, but also from a trauma perspective lens of how I can help my baby, not just my baby, but children release stress and trauma. So I read this book and I was like, right, this is, this is what I've got to do. And the aware parenting philosophy is based kind of on three key principles. One is, you know, close attunement and attachment. So it's really those kind of attachment philosophies of having your baby close, attuning to them, all the kind of gorgeous stuff we might do, breastfeeding, skin on skin, you know, all that kind of beautiful stuff. The second thing is non-punitive discipline. So it's about not using punishments and rewards to get our kids to do what they need to do. And the third uh, component is about helping our children, babies, you know, heal from stresses and traumas because we all have stress and trauma. And because I'd been through this traumatic experience with my daughter, it was really clear to me, there's something that we need to do here to help this. So, and then I also looked at my older kids and thought, whoa, I've done a lot of shutting down of their feelings over these years. And this is going to make sense to me as a mum for them as well. So, the way that I've started working with it and, and part of Aletha Salter's work is really understanding that babies like children have needs and they also have feelings, you know, so a baby cries when it wants to tell us, you know, I'm hungry or it's too noisy in here, or I need to feel you. I need to be close. And of course, when our baby cries, we respond to their needs straight away. You know, you feed them or you hold them close all that kind of stuff. But what I began to see with my daughter is even when I'd meet her needs, she was agitated, she was tense, she was stressed. And what I began to understand through reading, through reading Aletha Salter's book is that her way also of communicating and helping release this stress is through crying in arms. So there were times where I would meet her needs, I'd feed her or change a nappy or whatever it was, but I'd still see that agitation. And so what I'd do is I'd go into a quiet room and I'd hold her in my arms and I'd look in her little face and say, darling, I'm listening. If anything you want to tell me I'm here and I'm listening and she would look at me in the eyes and then she would just start crying and she would be arching her back and she would have these big tears and and it felt really confronting in the beginning because you know I was really like oh god I have to just make you okay but it was like nothing I was doing was making her okay it was like she had to tell me this story so I'd hold her in my arms and she would have a really big cry and sometimes it was 10 minutes sometimes it was 20 minutes sometimes it was longer and always at the end when she'd finish crying her body would be deeply relaxed she would look into my eyes or she would go into a really deep peaceful sleep now before that she'd been waking like every 25 minutes she was agitated and I literally began to see almost the tension starting to move from her body and I looked at it in the way of she's telling me a story and sometimes as we would do it I'd, I'd feel like this really strong intuitive sense of like oh that was that bit wasn't it that was really hard um, or something else would happen and I'd start to be like oh god that feels really really challenging 
And so I began to um, just see a big shift and change in her body. I, um, I, my cousin's an osteopath, and so she used to treat us both. She would do a lot of cranial sacral work, which is amazing for trauma and stress. And when I'd take her to have a, a treatment, you know, my cousin would just be like, whoa, what are you doing? Her whole nervous system is changing and it's shifting. And I just began to see this transformation in my beautiful baby because of, um, because of you know, being able to, I guess, listen to her feelings. And so every day I would just create space for her to have a cry or have a release. And what I began to see is it's almost like her body came back online. It, what happened was she started to feel, I could see just literally the stress and tension moving. She was a lot happier. She was sleeping better. I just began to see so much change and shift in her whole disposition. And so, uh, you know, this, and I, I want to really stress, cause I know it feels, you know, confronting for people to hear this. It is all about um, crying in loving arms, meaning we're present with our babies and we're listening. You don't leave them alone to cry. And sometimes it was just 10 minutes a day. Sometimes it was a bit longer, but I just began to see the shift and change in her. And it just sold me. I was like, wow, you know, with my two older kids, I spent so much time trying to get them to go to sleep, trying to help them be quiet. But really I looked back and when I was just trying to avoid them expressing themselves and it was probably making them really agitated as opposed to just being able to listen and allow that kind of stress release response to actually happen. I guess with my baby of just listening to her feelings was that, you know, babies like little children have feelings as well, you know, and, and that really started to influence my work around trauma and understanding, you know, how we as children are conditioned to hold on to our stuff. And we're taught, many of us were taught when we were younger, don't cry, you know, um, be good all the time. Or, or, you know, if you're going to stop crying, I'm going to send you to your room. And what I began to see really through the transformation of my daughter and helping her move her trauma and then actually also implementing it with my older kids was it was creating deeper connection within our family, but it was also making my kids be happier or not be happier, but feel content in their bodies, feel better. They weren't working, walking around with all this agitation and picking fights with each other. It was really amazing to actually, through that aware parenting lens, see how all of us have stresses and carry, um, carry big feelings. And a lot of the time we learn not to express them. So I think my baby, my beautiful third daughter, uh, third, third child was the biggest gift for me because she really helped me not only understand trauma more, I had to do a lot of healing of my own trauma, but also helping her heal from her trauma. Uh, I just began to see the powerful effects of just listening to feelings, like simply listening. Now, I think it can feel so confronting for many people because many of us were brought up in a world or in a culture, we've shown that crying is not okay. You know, particularly boys are like, be tough and don't be vulnerable and don't be weak. We're given the message that crying isn't okay. But, you know, I, the way that I started to look at it, particularly through the lens as a baby, is that, you know, my beautiful baby who's just been born into this world, you know, we might go out to the shops one day and all of a sudden it's like noisy and there's people looking in at her and touching her and all that kind of stuff. Like that feels stressful. And then she comes home and she's trying really desperately to go, mom, that was really big. And what we do is we kind of shush them or we try and overfeed them and all that kind of stuff so that they don't cry. It was really when we can just tune in and go, God, it was, it was probably a big day for you today, darling. Or gosh, it is really full on that your two-year-old brother keeps coming, poking your eyes and all those kind of things that they have. 
when we can hold space for them to let it out, then they're releasing that stress. They're able to find their way back into balance in their bodies. And what we often see is they're often then happier. Their disposition is happier. They're more relaxed. They often sleep better. They feed better. There's so many things I began to see as I, as I worked through that. And then actually then looking at my older children and realizing where I'd probably shut down a lot of their feelings. You know, whenever they're upset, I just believed that I had to make them happy all the time. And that was very much my conditioning as a mother. I think what I believed a good mother was, was when her children were happy. And so I spent most of my time trying to keep my children happy all the time, which is exhausting. And I have to say also does not work, right? Because nobody's ever happy all the time. And really my kids were just walking around with this low level of tension in their bodies constantly and me trying to make it all okay. And it just made for a very unhappy family. And also I didn't enjoy mothering at all when I began to understand this as a different concept. Gosh, it was such a game changer of being present with their feelings, just knowing if they were upset, it's okay for them to be upset and I could be there and lovingly listen and and they would unpack all the things that felt unfair or not okay and then they would find their way back into balance. So it was such a massive, beautiful shift for me as a parent, but then also you know, it, it really started to influence and shape my work that I do. Which then kind of brings me to, you know, your second question of how do we help our children to be resilient and beautiful, compassionate children? So for a long time, I think, particularly here in Australia, we've thought resilience is our ability to kind of just suck it up and get on with stuff, to be stoic, to be strong. But resilience, and the way I talk about it often when I do a lot of talks, is around our ability to navigate something difficult, to lean into the feelings and emotions surrounding that ask for support if we need, feel it, and then let it go and then move on. And I think what we've done for a long time in our culture is miss the feeling part. We're very good at analyzing stuff. We're very good at kind of pushing those feelings down. But if we want our children to be beautiful, resilient beings, then we need to make it safe enough for them to actually feel. So, you know, I think we're also being taught you know, we, we should make our kids independent right from the beginning. You know, it's great if your child can just walk into childcare and go see your mom and off we go. And, you know, that's a well-adjusted child. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. And, you know, what we, that's not the goal here. The goal is to help our children know that we are the safe place to come when they do have big feelings, when things feel tricky, when things feel hard. They able to come to us. They tell us how that feels. We're able to hold a space for them to unpack it. And and be in that space where we're not fixing what is going on for them. We're not trying to make it all okay, but we're we're sitting beside them, going, "Gosh, that sounds really tricky, honey. What do you think you should do?" And I'm here and I'm listening. And there, they have the they develop the capacity to realize, you know what, I can do tricky things. I can do hard stuff. That's what builds a beautiful resilience in them to be able to go into the world and not be scared to make mistakes, not be scared to take risks, not be scared to try new things. Uh, that is, I guess, where we see a child that has got, you know, there's, they're more in balance or they've got that emotional awareness and capabilities to navigate life, particularly when things are hard. Mm. Oh, I love hearing you speak about this because I think there's so much stripping back the stories we have, right? Like I know so many women listening to this, like you and I started on our parenting journey. It's like having to really zoom out and go, wow. Where do I get my stories around crying from? And what do I think makes a resilient child? And I know for myself, like I did a lot with my first two children of like, I don't want you to cry because it is a bad reflection of me. And I'm obviously not meeting your needs and definitely not in public because then, you know, like 
obviously I'm not a very confident mother because I can't fix you. So I did a lot of like, I used to joke that I parented by boob and whilst (laughs) it's still funny, I can see now that I've got a different lens in it, that that Mm. is, that was a lot of suppression because I didn't feel comfortable sitting with my kids being upset. And I have total compassion for myself about that. I certainly don't beat myself up about it because I didn't know any better back then. Mm. I just thought, I need to fix their crying. Mm -hmm. And I really like, because I know this can also probably sound a bit wild if it's new to you because you're like, it's a baby. You know, what do you mean Mm -hmm. feelings and babies? And I guess people might associate feelings more with older kids who can Mm -hmm. talk to you and have language around it. But I really, really loved when you and B got together at the workshop and you did this little role play. And I wanted to share it with um, the audience because I do think this really helps. So Lael said to B, tell me how you're feeling. You know, you look really upset. And B was like, oh, well, I've had this really big day. And she started talking. And then Leo was like, shh, 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 shh. It's okay, honey. It's a shh, 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 shh. And she started shushing her. And we were all a bit like, you know, it's a bit rude. <laughs> and then she's like, carry on, tell me about your day. And then B would start again. Oh, you know, all these big feelings. And Leo was like, yeah, have some water, have some water. You know, do you want some food? Do you want this? Do you want to watch this? And distraction. And, and then we all clicked. So we were like, Ah, yes. Like it's so harsh when you see that with an adult because we expect ourselves to relate differently and we're like, dude, you should be listening to her. Why trying to distract her and like not really let her talk? But then when you think about, well, I thought about how am I like that with my children? And I'm like, Mm. yeah, this is is a really interesting way to frame it because I certainly with my children, I'm getting better, but Mm. I certainly default a lot of the time to like, I need to fix this. I need to, Mm. you've got a problem. I need to solve it. How do I solve it? Because, you know, we want to move past this and it can be really hard mostly. And this is what we're going to get to later. I think it's mostly hard because we don't give ourselves the same grace and compassion to listen to our own feelings or express our own feelings to others. So how did you find, because I know, you you know, you've had your own journey. You didn't wake up as a magical unicorn parenting queen. (laughs) You've had to go through this. Like, did it feel really clunky? for you at the start we you like, I don't know what I'm doing what is this oh my god yeah <laughs> totally totally like my imprint was when I talk about imprints is like what did I learn in my family of origin so in my family of origin you know when you're upset you you ate something or you moved or um you know you just overanalyzed and talked about it and then you move on right you don't really feel so when I became a mum, it was uncomfortable if my baby cried. I was like, I've got to do whatever I need to do to stop them from crying, exactly as you're saying, because then, you know, it's a reflection on me. And so, you know, for the first seven or eight years of mothering, I didn't do any of this. I was just kind of, you know, I, I literally had the fattest, chunkiest babies because all I did was feed them. <laughs> I'm like, they're upset. Here's some more boob, you know. And and I love that you have compassion for yourself within that. And and I really had to learn how to compassion myself because I didn't know any different. I was doing the best job I knew at the time. And, and I really just want to flag and say, if that's what you're doing with your babies, nothing wrong. We've got to do with what feels right for us. You know, mothering is really tricky. Um, and, and it's so big being a mum. and we do not need any extra pressure of comparisons or right or wrong. I always say to everybody, do what feels good for you. That at the end of the day is what you need to do. I do not believe there is a right way to do it. And yeah, I have, I am a wonderful, exceptional mum. I've had 22 years of being a mum. I have messed up in every way you can possibly imagine. I've had to have the contrast of what doesn't work to get to what does work. So when I did start um, Aware Parenting, it made a lot of sense to me logically. It really made me go, oh yes, I get this understandingly. I understood it from a theoretical point of view. 
But boy, did it feel tricky in the beginning because every part of me was like, I must fix what's going on instead of can I be with what's going on? And I think because I I had, we'd been through this big trauma and I did have an understanding of trauma. I knew that the story had to come out in some way and that my baby's way of expressing that was to cry and to be present with her when she did that. Now, I really want to stress too, I always made sure her needs were met first and maybe she did have a big cry and then I was like, oh, maybe you need a drink. Then I would feed her. Like it's it's not about this hardcore, this is how it's got to look. I really invite parents to listen to your intuition of what feels okay. But when I first started doing it, all my own stuff came up because all my own story of like, well, I was never really allowed to express this when I was a baby. I was kind of shushed. And so it felt uncomfortable sitting with the feelings. And and even when I said to my husband, you know, look, here's this, he never reads books, but I was like, here's what the book's about. This is what it is. What do you reckon? And he'd be like, okay. And I'd be like, would you be willing to just listen to her feelings for 15 or 20 minutes? And he was like, okay. And so he'd do it. And then we started doing it with our older kids. And there were times when my husband would come to me and he'd go, are you sure this is going to work? It's like, there's a lot of feelings. Be like, I don't know, but my gut says yes, because if I was little, this is how I would want to be responded to. You know, Mm -hmm. I would have wanted a parent to hold space for me, you know, when I was three and someone stole my drawing that I did and I was very upset about it. I would want my parent to sit there and go, gosh, that sounds hard, darling, and tell me all about it instead of, it's fine, don't worry, It's, it's not a thing, just draw another one. Or don't be silly, you know, go and do something else. You know, I didn't want my children to feel like I was dismissing their feelings. I wanted them to know that I was the safe place to come when they were upset and when they did have feelings. So it absolutely felt clunky in the beginning and it, and it had to just keep coming back to if I was them, if I was eight, if I was four, if I was three months of age, what would I have wanted from my parent? And what I would have wanted was a really calm, anchored parent that could sit in the hard stuff and who would sit there and say, this is not too big for me and I've got you and you're doing a beautiful job and I'm here and I'm listening. Because here's the piece where I think I began to see uh, how powerful it was is because I then began to look for the evidence of what happens when they have had a release. So, you know, I would see my eight-year-old son, he would be picking a fight with his sister and he'd be really agitated and and I could see there's something going on for him. And so I'd kind of come in close and maybe we did a bit of play or I'd do something to kind of connect him with him. And then I might set a limit on something. And then all of a sudden his big feelings would come out and he'd get angry or he'd have a cry. And I'd hold that space for him safely. I wouldn't judge him. I wouldn't tell him he was wrong. I didn't send him to his room. I was just present saying, I'm here and I'm listening and keep going. And then eventually what would happen is he'd move past the anger into the tears And then he might end up saying something like, oh, school was really hard today, or the teacher yelled at me, or, you know, and he would share the hurt that was going on for him. And then what I would see is he would be back in balance and he would be really kind to his sisters. And I'd say, honey, could you set the table? And he would do it, you know. So I began to see the evidence with all three of my kids of when they had expressed their feelings in healthy ways, how much calmer they were, how they were more cooperative how they were feeling more attuned to themselves. And the same with my baby. I could see that agitation, particularly when nothing would kind of make her happy. I'd be like, all right, babes, let's go. I'm listening. And she would have a big cry in my arms. And then she, her whole body would relax and she would sleep better. And, you know, and so I really began to just keep looking for the evidence of, of them coming back into their center, coming back into balance. And of course, I looked at it from the adult perspective. When I'm agitated or angry, upset, when I have a big cry, oh, I feel better afterwards. I feel like, okay, this possibility, I can, I can move with this. 
And then I think the thing that I began to see with my kids, because then as they grow, as when I began to welcome their feelings and emotions, what happened is this beautiful emotional intelligence started to be created in them because they were allowed to feel what was present in their bodies. And then they would put words to it. And then what would start happening is they would walk into the room and go, mom, I'm so angry. Can you help me with my mad? And I'd be like, yes. What do you want to do? Do you want to wrestle? Do you want to go like put on angry music and dance, like angry dance? What are we going to do? Like they would own their feelings and say, can you help me shift it? Mm-hmm. As opposed to picking on someone else or projecting it somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, even my little one from when I started with her when she was a baby, you know, she would be this four-year-old who'd walk into the room and go, mama, I need to cry. And I'd go, okay, baby, let's do it. And she, she knew what she needed. She knew what she wanted. And she would ask for support in doing it and then she would feel back in balance and she'd feel better again. And so what I began to see in their beautiful beings was this incredible emotional awareness developing because we were not making feelings wrong. We were yeah. just saying feelings are just feelings. Yeah. And our, the whole idea is that we feel them and then we let them go, right, as opposed to feeling them and going, I don't want to feel it, so we repress them or we <laughs> avoid them and then it gets turned into anger and And so I began to just see, you know, the benefit of what happened. And then, of course, as they grew into the teenage years, which is such a massive time for children as they are trying to figure out who they are and peer pressure and a whole lot of stuff gets turned up really high there, that they were still able to identify their feelings and know that no matter what went on, we were the safe place to come to. So it was very different, I think, to many of us growing up, because for a lot of us, we grew up in a behaviorism paradigm that said, you know, I love you when you're good and when you're bad, I withdraw energy from you. So we all learn to be good boys and good girls. You know, we all grow up going, wow, I'm only okay if you're approving of me. Mm. And that's what I didn't want for my kids. I wanted my children to know that no matter who they are, you know, when they're having one of the darkest days or when they've got a lot of stuff going on, I'm still there. I've got their back. I love them regardless. And I think our children only learn that when we can be present and spacious with their feelings because Mm. that is when they get the picture you know what all of me is welcome here because every one of us is angry and sad and frustrated and passionate and joyous and happy we are all those feelings there is no such thing as negative emotions or positive emotions they're just feelings they're just they're just there Mm. and so when we can give our children permission just to feel the feelings that we love them regardless and it doesn't mean that you know it's full permission to beat up your brother or project your anger places like we absolutely have boundaries around it but the key piece of that is that it is safe for you to feel how you feel let it go come back into balance and then we can move on Mm, I love that so much because I also think you're saying like I trust you and you do have to then trust them and then they learn to trust themselves as well rather than questioning like whether their internal compass is wrong because I'm feeling this, but I'm being told not to feel this or, or whatnot. So I feel like mm. there's such a big element of trust with all of that and trusting that kids know what they need to do to get back into balance. And it's kind of like not getting in the way of that, right? It's like letting them have the space to be able mm. to do what they need to do. I know I've learned that myself as well. It's so beautiful to see how I used to look at behavior and how I look at behavior now. And I just thinking of an example as you were talking about my son and, you know, he might be really whiny and be like, I really need this. And he'd be having all these big feelings, I don't know, let's say about an ice cream. And in the past, I would be like, oh, he's so difficult. You know, why is he like this? He's so spoiled. You know, like he gets everything he wants and 
And then I just end up going, oh, fine, I'll give him the ice cream because that's going to fix his problem. Lo and behold, an hour later, Mm -hmm. it was something else. And I'd give him the thing or do the thing and, you know, completely lose all my boundaries as well, just Mm -hmm. to try and like put him at ease because I didn't want to sit with his feelings. And now it's really cool because my husband and I look at each other and we're like, this has got nothing to do with the ice cream, right? Like there's, I like how you guys coin it, like beneath the behavior. So it's like seeing beneath how they're acting and seeing that deep down, they're just trying to regulate themselves, express their feelings, get back into balance. Because I know a lot of parents, myself included, we can get so triggered by the behavior and thinking that that child is that behavior. But could you just maybe quickly speak to mm-hmm. that beneath the behavior yeah. piece? Because I do think that's really powerful for parents to mm. understand what's beyond that. Yes. So I absolutely 100% stand by there is no such thing as a bad or a naughty child. There's not. There's just kids in balance and out of balance. Mm-hmm. And you know, I talk about it simply imbalance is when we can see our children, you know, they're singing along and they're playing happily and they're giggling and, you know, it's all beautiful with their siblings and uh, it's feeling great, right? And you ask them to do something and they do it and they're cooperative and it feels really beautiful. That's when we see a child, their nervous system is imbalanced. They're imbalanced in their spirit. When a child's out of balance, you know, nothing's making them happy. You cut the sandwich the wrong way or their sister has more ice cream than them or um, you ask them to do something and they, they're like, no, and, you know, like you can see there's something brewing. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we, we come back to firstly, when there's something, a child is out of balance, the first thing we want to tune into as a parent is, is there a need that needs to be met here? Are they hungry? Are they tired? Do they need some cuddles? We haven't been together all day. Like, what is it? And when you meet that need, then usually they're back in balance. They're okay. So, you know, always meet the need first. What is going on here? Sometimes it's also about information, you know, is there something that they need to know about what's going on here to help them feel settled again? You know, some kids can be highly anxious because they don't understand what's going on. You could even see that with an 18-month-old, you know, there's a big noise outside and they get a fright and all of a sudden they're really unsure and then you can go over and go, oh, that was the garbage truck, darling, and it made a big bang. Do you want me to show you where it came from? And we give them information and then they settle and they go, okay, I can understand what's going on. But the third reason why children can feel out of balance has got to do with a buildup of feelings and stresses and tensions that they carry. Mm. Now, in babies, that can be from birth trauma. For babies, it can be with, you know, being in really loud, stimulating environments. It can be from, um, you know, older siblings, brothers and sisters dragging them around the floor. Like, you know, there's a lot going on for a little baby, you know, that can cause those stresses to their system. You know, think about how you know, beautifully sensitive and gorgeous they are in that kind of new world like place bubble. They can have stresses. Toddlers have massive stresses purely out of frustration. Maybe it's food they don't like and they can't express that to you. Um, maybe it's because they, they figure out they've got hands and they're trying to make their hands do something and then they can't figure out how to make their hands do something. Like we all have stresses and tensions throughout the day and it reaches a point, particularly when our children are little, where they don't actually have the cognitive ability to say, Hey, this feels really tricky for me, right? So I use often the example of let's imagine your three-year-old's going to daycare for the day, right? Now, it's, you know, even though we daycare's fun and they have friends and they have a great time, they still have to separate from you for the day and that feels really big for them. You know, it's, it's hard saying goodbye to mum or dad. And then, you know, there's an, a room with like 12 other kids and it's noisy and there's one kid in there, he's got some big feelings and he keeps pushing other kids over and you're feeling a bit frightened because this kid might push you over and then you're building this great tower and then someone comes and ruins it and and you can't really express it and then you're made to have a nap and you don't like napping at daycare and 
you know, there's a whole lot of stresses that go on throughout the day. And then you come home and, you know, you say, I want a sandwich and mum makes you a sandwich and they cut it the wrong way. And the next minute, all of a sudden, all these feelings come bubbling out from this beautiful three-year-old because your sandwich is cut the wrong way or the wrong colored cup or, you know, it's not the right ice cream that they want. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's a catalyst for a whole lot of those feelings that are sitting there underneath. Now, if we were privy to what had happened through that three-year-old's day, we would go, oh, this is not about sandwich, right? It is about all these other stresses that have gone on throughout the day. And the exact same thing applies to us as adults. You know, we can have days where we get an email, it's a bit harsh, and then we're late to an appointment. And and then, you know, someone says they're going to come and help us and then they don't turn up. And then, you know, like just we have our frustrations and tensions and then we snap, you know, at our partner for forgetting to bring the milk home or something. Like we do it as adults as well. Yet we often expect children to have a far greater emotional awareness than what we even display. Mm. Expect a three-year-old to go, mum, I'm very disappointed in the way you cut my sandwich because, you know, I don't like it like that. I wanted a squares and I've had a very stressful day. I think we think that our children should be able to do that. And they can't because they're three and they're little. Like it's even big for teenagers to be able to do that. Yeah. Big for adults to be able to do that. And so mm-hmm. when we come back to understanding that, you know, our children are always responding to their environment and they are trying very hard to find their way back into balance. And the way you get back into balance is through crying. It is through raging. It's through shaking. It can be through laughing. It can be through talking, but really not until past the ages of seven or eight when our prefrontal cortex develops in a whole other way so we can have the capacity to use our words. But for little people, the way they come back into balance is usually by having a beautiful, glorious meltdown on the kitchen floor because of the sandwich. Now, the key point when this happens is to be really mindful about what we are thinking as the adult. Because as you mentioned before, like if you've got a narrative going on in your head that's like, God, why are you making my life so hard? Or why can't you just take it? It's triangles. It's fine. Or God, not again. Or look, I'll just make you another sandwich to keep you happy. You know, what we're doing when we're thinking in that space is we're not allowing ourselves to move into an empathetic, compassionate place where we can see behind the behavior and go, "Mm, there's probably been a big day that's gone on today for them to be having that reaction. Because usually when they have a reaction that is way over the top than what's warranted, we can pretty much presume that it is a buildup of stresses and tensions from somewhere else or even past traumas. So it's in those moments where we need to, we need to be the compassionate, emotionally aware adult. And so when we can be curious to be like, "Mm, I wonder what's going on here. And that often takes us being very mindful around what we're telling ourselves in our heads. Because if we are doing the, you know, you're making my life difficult and why can't you be like your sister or all that kind of stuff, then we are not necessarily going to move into that empathetic place where we're able to get down on the ground beside our kiddos and go, hey, it's really big, isn't it? Let it out. And understand that in that moment, what they're trying to do is move those big feelings and emotions so they can come back into that place of balance. Mm. And and I absolutely stand by, and I love that you brought up the trust piece, is that children do know what they need to do to come back into balance. We often just miss the cues. So sometimes they do it through play. Sometimes they do it through being silly because they're trying to move some of the energy in their body, you know, when they're making all these fart noises with their tongue and being silly. You know, it's often an invitation to join in. Let's be silly. Let's move some of this energy. Or if they keep pushing, I want that one, no, that one, no, that one. What they might be looking for is a boundary to push up against so that they can have something that they get to know about so that they've got a, a reason to express some of the big feelings that are sitting there. 
So I think it's so vital to be curious as to what we make it mean. And again, this is where it's often tricky because many of us were brought up in environments where we were told we must be good all the time and we were naughty if we were upset or we are bad if we are doing that. And, and therefore we carry that story forward with us. Whereas if we were to tune in to being a three-year-old and go, hey, that three-year-old who's had a big day at daycare and now I've cut their sandwich the wrong way, what is it that they really need? Mm. Probably what they need is a calm adult to come in and go, oh, honey, tell me all about it. And to sit there and be that calm, trusting space for them to move all those big feelings so they can come back into balance and they take a deep breath and then they're like, hey, what's for dinner? And then they just move on, right? And that's often what we all need so that we can unpack those huge stories. Our nervous system resets itself and they stay deeply connected to us while they're doing it. Mm, I love that so much. And I was just thinking about the compassion piece. And when you truly do put yourself in your children's foot, like um, footsteps, Shoes is what I meant. I was like, that's not the right word. When you do put yourself in your kid's shoes, like I was thinking about my 18-month-old the other day, I found myself getting a bit frustrated and I was like, you have a really challenging day. Like you get told to get in the car, you get told, like I've got to change your nappy now, I I make you get dressed, I like put you in your heart, you get picked up a lot. Like it's really frustrating being an 18-month-old because you don't really have as much autonomy throughout the day as you would like. And I was mm. just really putting myself in her shoes, which is, again, really new for me. Mm. I just had this overwhelming sense of like, yeah, your day is really hard. Yeah. And that is probably why you are so grumpy at me putting your pants on right now, because you're like, just another thing that gets done to me that I don't have to say over. And obviously, again, like we've got to be able to I'm not saying that that means you just have to let your kids do whatever they want where the parents, like there's going to have to be things that need to get done. But it's just really nice to be like, yeah, I get it. That really sucks that I have to put your pants on right now. Just the way I think about it is different. I still do the same thing, right? Mm. But it's just the way I think about it is different. And I think it has a direct impact then on how they receive that. And I think it's really Mm. beautiful to see the evidence, like you said, like you, you feel really clunky when you start this, especially if it wasn't modeled to you. But then when you see the evidence of those big releases and then the super calm bodies, and like you said, they just get on with it, right? They just go from like this almighty expression to like, like you said, Hey mom, what's for dinner? And like, what are Mm. we doing now? And let's do this. And Mm. it's really beautiful because you're like, ah, this is working. This is what they need because if they're not expressing it then it's like getting suppressed or it's going to come out in other ways and um, it can feel hard but once you start to see it working it's so rewarding and I love that. Hey mamas I really hope you love that episode as much as I did. I could listen and chat to Lael all day long. Truth be told I actually was feeling a little bit off before that podcast recording and then as soon as I started talking to Lael I instantly felt better. And I think it's because she really does embody holding space for people and letting all of you be seen and felt and accepted. And yeah, I always walk away from listening to her on her own podcast or whether it be in person when I went to her workshop, I always walk away feeling really good about myself. I never feel shamed because my parenting is different or whatever it is. I know sometimes when I listen to some parenting advice or whatnot, it can actually make me feel really crappy about myself and I can beat myself up for all the ways I don't show up as a good parent or whatever. But I feel like the way Lael expresses herself, it's just a really compassionate, kind, 
Like look after you, be kind to yourself. You're doing the best job that you know how. And so, yeah, I, that's why I wanted to get her on the podcast because I really, really do love her message. And I'd so love to hear from you. If you also resonate with this message and you got something out of this episode that will change the way you do things moving forward, I'd so love to hear what you loved about this episode. So jump on over to at PhysioLaura and let me know what your best takeaway was from this episode. I so love hearing how the podcast is yeah, landing for you. Um, I say this all the time, but you know, I want to know I'm talking to humans and not a computer. So please come on over, either comment on this podcast post or jump into my messages and let me know what you got out of this episode. I'd so love to hear from you. And if you want to learn more from Lael, which I'm positive you will, jump on over to at Lael Stone. She has amazing resources that you can find there. I've actually done one of her courses and it was incredible. So yeah, I encourage you to go check her out. She also has the Aware Parenting podcast, which is a wealth of knowledge. So definitely go check her out. And if you want to listen to episode two, where we talk about self-care and looking after the mother or episode three, where we talk about holding boundaries, make sure you subscribe to the Pregnancy with Physio Laura podcast so you don't miss these when they are released. And if you want to come and connect with me further, work your body during pregnancy, make sure you stay strong and healthy, look after your pelvic floor, prevent any aches and pains in the pelvis. Come and check me out and look at all of my heart and soul poured into one little membership called The Pregnancy Posse. So you want to come check that out. It's at thepregnancyposse.com and you can trial it for seven days. But otherwise, I will catch you soon, ladies, for episode two, where we talk about looking after the mother.